He's a former police officer from the Seattle Police Department. In his first year, police officer Tim Brenton was killed, and the Lakewood four police officers were killed. He was involved in bank robbery suspect shooting, an active shooter at a bar. Violence and trauma are one of the driving forces for his new passion. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there are no other shows like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. Contacts from the state of Washington. We have Jeremy Wade. On the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, Jeremy is a former Seattle police officer, did 13 years in a job, experienced lots of violence and trauma like most law enforcement officers do. And he is one of the primary movers and shakers for Mission First Alliance. Their website is missionfirstalliance.com. And it is a ministry, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Jeremy, first of all, thanks so much for agreeing to be on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. And secondly, thank for your service. Very much appreciated. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm, I really appreciate it. Earlier, last uh, year or so ago, we had uh, a young Seattle police officer on the, the Law Enforcement Talk radio show where her partner on field training on Halloween night, they were ambushed. She was shot and her partner was shot and killed named Tim Brenton. Uh, that happened when you were on your first year, wasn't it? Yeah, that was my uh, first year on patrol. That was my precinct. Uh, the East Precinct in the Seattle Police Department, uh, and even in my beat that I was patrolling. Um, Timothy Brenton, um, was, uh, his call sign was 3 George 11. My call sign was 1 George 11. That was just a few hours before my shifts was starting on uh, yeah, Halloween night, 2009. One of the things I get all the time, oh, you're in the Baltimore City Police Department. You know so-and-so. It was a big department. However, it, when officers are killed, each one of them took its toll. Uh, and some I knew of in passing in the same district. Others were totally different districts, and I never met them. So would it be safe to say you didn't know Tim, but you knew him from working side by side from a, a different time zone? Yeah, exactly. I would pass him in the locker room, uh, you know, from one shift to the next. And uh, But it was still early on in my career. I was just a couple months into that assignment to that precinct after coming off of FTO. So, uh, Britt Kelly, I believe, was the name of the officer, and she was in field training. So, she, you were only a couple months ahead of her. Yes, exactly. And by the way, that's a, a huge episode. Check out the, the podcast. Look for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show uh, at podcast and wherever podcasts are served. Or go to letradio.com. You'll find it right there. Uh, Britt Kelly was her name. Would it be safe to say that, was that a wake-up call for you, how dangerous this job could be? Yeah, it absolutely was, both for me, uh, my wife, you know, my family. Um, I, I think that there was just a series of events just right off the bat in my career um, that just led me to a point and my wife, family, to a point of understanding the reality, uh, understanding the dangers, 
but just gave me so much more of a resolve that this is what I want to do. Uh, there was everything from, uh, you know, events in FTO. Uh, my very first shift on FTO um, in South Seattle ended with a SWAT call-out uh, home invasion robbery uh, that I was on containment for. Um, and then uh, on my one of my first shifts in my second rotation in North Seattle, uh, there was a, a bank robbery suspect um, that, that, in, uh, um, that he had just robbed his third bank in three days. Uh, and was seen leaving um, that bank in a stolen uh, pickup truck. With, we had a good license plate and was able to be involved in helping locate uh, that suspect, which, again, ended in a violent encounter. Uh, and then all the way to, yes, getting to my assignment at these precinct and Officer Timothy Brenton uh, being ambushed and murdered, uh, followed by four Lakewood police officers just south of Seattle that were ambushed and murdered in a coffee shop. Uh, and then even just a month after that, uh, a Pierce County deputy, uh, Kent Mandel, just south of Seattle, uh, that was shot on a domestic violence call um, on life support for a few days at Harborview Hospital in Seattle. And I even just remember being assigned to hospital guard sitting outside his room and, uh, and just having an opportunity to see him and see his family. So just so many things in such a short amount of time at the beginning of my career, I think absolutely the wake-up call. My wife grew up as the uh, daughter of a firefighter. So I think she even felt like she understood uh, some of the, you know, potential dangers of, uh, uh, you know, a first responder family, but all these things so quickly at the beginning of the career, just uh, definitely was a wake up call, um, but also gave us so much more resolve and passion for what um, we were doing as a family um, in serving and such a calling. One of the things that happened with me was, look, we were aware, uh, a lot of training, the academy, we get these films of officers being shot and killed. And, and by the way, I don't watch them anymore at all. But I, and when other officers were killed, I always thought, you know, that that's a possibility, but that's never going to happen to me because, uh, you know, I'm this, I'm that, I'm whatever. I'm kind of six foot tall and bulletproof. The, did you have that mindset or was it like, man, this is for real right away? No, I, I definitely uh, fell into that category of thinking, you know, that, uh, you know, my training, uh, my preparation uh, was going to leave me in a position, um, you know, of, of success and was going to lead me in a position of being prepared for anything that I might face. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, you just get out there and you start to do the job and you realize um, that no matter uh, um, amount of training, um, you know, there's going to be challenges, especially in your first handful of years of just so many situations that you're going to face that uh, you had, there's no way you could think through. Um, there's just so many variables, so many changes, so many things, um, you know, that can happen that you can play the what if game all day and you can still never be prepared for everything you might face. And so many of those violent encounters um, can catch us by surprise. Well, let's look at two situations. Officer Timothy Brenton, from what my memory serves correct, they were sitting there in a patrol car writing a report, and they were ambushed. They they had no idea it was coming. Secondly, the, the four Lakewood officers were in a diner or a restaurant and trading reports or whatever it might be, and they were all they were ambushed as well. There's nothing you could do in your preparation, your training that could prepare you for that, was there? No. And I think that that's what leads police officers to have such a level of hypervigilance 
you know, to never be able to let your guard down because, yeah, you could just be sitting in a coffee shop. You could just be pulled over on the side of the road in your police car, um, you know, just having a conversation with a training officer, uh, you know, and there is a danger out there. There is and you know, an element out there that uh, um, resents law enforcement for what they do um, and wants to see harm to them. And so, yeah, you always have your guard up. You always have hypervigilance. Uh, 24-7. I think that's really tough as a new officer and was for me uh, to be able to let my guard down even on my days off, right. even on my time with my family. And uh, I, so I, I have not, really have to I have not been successful at getting rid of that totally, and I've been retired more than 30 years. This is the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. We're talking with former Seattle police officer Jeremy Wade. We've got so much more to talk about involving violence, trauma, and his new mission in life. I'll give you a hint that involves his ministry. Get more details at the website, missionfirstalliance.com. One of the questions I get all the time is how can I show my support for law enforcement? We're all busy. We've got busy lives, but there's something oh so simple you can do with our Facebook page. Search for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. And when you see a post you agree with that resonates with you, share it, especially episodes of the podcast. To do all that, just search for us on Facebook, look for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, and be sure to click like. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. It's free. And get the latest crime and law enforcement news on the Newsbreak app. It's simple, easy, and free. Just download the Newsbreak app. Then search for and follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. Return to our conversation with Jeremy Wade on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Jeremy is a former Seattle police officer, 13 years on the job. Like many police, he experienced lots of violence and trauma. We talked about some of them. The, the murder of police officer Tim Brenton from the Seattle Police Department. Also, the four Lakewood police officers that were shot and killed. And that was all early in his career. He has since left law enforcement. He has a passion for ministry. His website is missionfirstalliance.com. Jeremy, some people, I, I think back to my career, and I remember some of the officers saying, look, you're like a magnet for guns and bullets. I, 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 I went my whole career without drawing a gun except the range, and you're getting shot at every year. Uh, it sounds like you're the same sort of guy, same sort of situation. Yeah, there were definitely a few uh, incidents early in my career and you know, throughout my career. I only worked patrol for six years, and I just look back amazed at some of the things I got to be involved in in such a short amount of time, and some of which just started uh, right away for me in FTO. Uh, one of those was um, on one of my first shifts um, in my second rotation of FTO uh, up in the North Seattle. Um, there was a bank robbery suspect uh, that had just robbed his third bank in three days, uh, seen leaving the bank in a stolen um, uh, pickup truck. Uh, which we had a license plate number four. Um, and I remember my FTO officer, as I was driving around in you know, a new part of town and kind of unfamiliar, um, you know, and we just got dispatched to a, a non-injury car accident collision. Uh, and we were on our way and he's like, yeah, we're going to make our way slowly, you know, there. And, you know, just keep an eye out because this, 
bank was just robbed just north of Seattle uh, very recently. Let's keep an eye out for this pickup truck in case, you know, he crosses our path. And um, lo and behold, after driving around for, you know, just a few minutes and uh, then pulling up to the car accident, uh, just as we arrived on scene, um, the stolen pickup truck passes us heading in the opposite direction. Uh, my FTO officer actually didn't even see it at first was kind of paying attention to something else. And I kind of turned to him and I say, yep, there's the truck right there, uh, passes us going in the other direction and we're able to, um, you know, get behind it. Um, and that was one of those instances that it just, uh, that it unfolded fast, uh, to the point where that, uh, suspect, um, as soon as he saw their officers arriving, uh, he immediately turned uh, you know, to avoid officers, rammed one officer's car head on while the officer was still half in, half out of it, coming out of the car to address uh, the vehicle and the suspect, um, rammed his car, reversed back towards my car, and then it forwards again right towards another officer out uh, on foot in front of the truck as we're trying to kind of contain and stop him. Unfortunately, a robbery detective um, on, our, on the driver's side of the truck uh, was able to use lethal force um, on suspect and he kind of went forward across the intersection was able to stop uh, you know and we we're able to stop him there and stop that threat there as uh, obviously clearly uh, a violent suspect um, you know with ar- being armed and robbing three banks in three days um, so that was uh, just so early in my career that uh, it was definitely a wake-up call for me a lot of people don't they their careers don't survive after something like that. The, the, the thought crossed your mind, and I'll I'll get back to the second uh, your initial reaction when you saw the truck. But the thought crossed your mind. Uh, look, uh, this job is not for me. I, I think after an incident like that, there was just so many things swirling through my mind. Everything from uh, this is exciting. You know, I can't believe you know what I'm in. You know, get to be involved in, and the team I get to work with, and you know, being able to, you know, have a positive impact and make a difference and uh, stop a violent suspect to, uh, yeah, just almost uh, um, emotions just like uh, of anger and, you know, frustration and, you know, all the what ifs and that could have gone so much worse. And uh, I maybe really wasn't in as much control as I thought I was, um, you know, to, yeah, that could have gone really bad. Um, So I think that, yeah, there was a whole lot that I was processing there. I think just having a wife at home that was so supportive um, just uh, helped me to have the resolve and the recognition to say, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. This is exactly what I'm supposed to do and kind of was able to move in that direction really quickly. Uh, but I do know from firsthand coming alongside other officers and supporting them through incidents like that, uh, you know, that family dynamic at home definitely plays a piece into a it as huge, well. A huge um, piece. Because the, Spouse at home is so impacted, uh, you know, in addition to the officers on those incidents. And I've got to ask you, when you you saw the stolen truck, one of the things that would happen for me, and I'm almost feeling it as we talk about it, because you did a great job explaining it, is the the adrenaline dump. And that's the only way I can describe it, where it's, oh, my goodness, this is for real. There it is. Uh, Did you experience that right away? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you just go to a heightened level of <laughs> hypervigilance and awareness to, okay, you know, this is real. I'm doing something, you know, to, uh, yeah, just the, um, 
adrenaline dump, you know, after the incident to where it almost feels like you're on autopilot. I think that that was one of the things that I also recognized after that. Like you go through so much training and I feel like some of that training just kicked in. And then you look back, you know, because some of those uh, um, incidents are just a matter of seconds, how quickly they all unfold. And then you, and then I kind of look back and I'm like, almost like an out of body experience. Like, well, like how, you know, what did I do? Uh, you know, did I respond as I should have? And, and, and you just look back and you, it, you almost, the train kicks in uh, and you almost kind of set on hypervigilance, right. uh, you know, just autopilot. Uh, and then, you know, as things start to come down, uh, you know, it, it, it's tough to sleep. It's tough to, you know, kind of come down from, you know, just that adrenaline dump from that incident you were just on. Well, I must have, uh, I jokingly tell people I must have been addicted to the adrenaline because after a while I loved something about chasing and murder into an alley. was armed with a gun, being in a shootout. I, for some reason, I loved it. But asking a strange woman I didn't know to dance across a night, crowded nightclub floor was paralyzing. I, I just could not bring myself to do that. One was easy. I volunteered for it all the time. The other one, oh, yeah, what do people think? I'm, I'm not ready for this. Yeah, I think that's the value of training. I agree completely. I was definitely that way. Uh, I loved uh, growing up playing sports. Uh, soccer was my sport. Got a chance to even play in uh, college for a uh, number two ranked Division two school. And, and, and I just that commitment and dedication and like uh, uh, training and team aspect, I think just helped me thrive. Uh, and I, uh, throughout a lot of my career, was just a training, um, uh, um, just so much focus on training. And I think that that was the key for me uh, to be prepared, you know, uh, that, that stress inoculation training, just to be prepared for what we might face. And then I loved later uh, on in my career just having the opportunity to train the officers, spending a couple of years uh, overseeing some of their initial training and talking to their family members and you know, just having that conversation with them. We're talking with Jeremy Wade. He's a former Seattle police officer. We've got so much more to talk about. Uh, An active shooter at a bar. Uh, It did not end well, but this is all part of the reason it drives his passion for his ministry. Get more details, his website, missionfirstalliance.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to click like. This is the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. We'll be right back. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's jay at letradio.com. Return our conversation with Jeremy Wade on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Jeremy's a former Seattle Police Department police officer, 13 years on a job. Uh, he has a huge passion for his ministry, which we'll talk about in a bit. His website is missionfirstalliance.com. So before we t- went to break, we're talking about this bank robbery suspect that ended in a shooting. And we were talking a lot about police work in general. But you also had an incident involving an active shooter at a bar. Are you able to talk about that? Yeah, that was um, in January 2013. Uh, been on for a few years um, on patrol at that time and uh, was working a two-man car that night uh, with a good friend that I went through the academy with. 
got a chance to work patrol with. Um, didn't always work a two-man car, um, but just working that night shift, I, I did that night. Um, and we had uh, just made an arrest and was back at the East Precinct uh, when the radio came out with a shooting at a bar in our uh, sector uh, in, in, in Seattle. Um, and we could hear that there were still gunshots going off in the background, uh, um, that there was many people inside the bar at the time, and we knew it was serious. Um, uh, fortunately, uh, our arrest and our incident that we were on, uh, we were able to uh, divert from that, leave the precinct, um, and get to the scene of that bar uh, while we could still hear gunshots going off inside the bar. Uh, and it's that worst case scenario that we train for as that active shooter. Um, but so many of those calls that, you know, that you respond to as a police officer, uh, it's well over before you arrive on scene. The shooting has happened. Uh, people have left the scene, you know, we're trying to collect evidence, but, um, yeah, we pulled up when we could still hear it going on. Which is rare. You, you said that. Most of the time, it's the crime's already occurred. You get there afterwards. And it's not going on when you get there. When you pulled up and you heard the shots going on, did that change your mindset? Yeah, absolutely. We knew that there was uh, uh, life on the line. We knew that there were people actively in danger. We knew that we had to take action uh, quickly uh, to stop that threat um, to to save as many lives as possible. We know uh, that uh, the more time that passes, the more lives that could be lost. Uh, fortunately, uh, where that bar um, uh, was located was in a place um, that we knew better than even some of the other police officers uh, in our precinct assigned that night. We knew that the main entrance into that bar was not the front door on the street side, uh, but was an alley entrance. Um, and while that was a uh, fun uh, entrance, I'm sure, for the bar, uh, it was almost a worst-case uh, entrance for um, uh, us as law enforcement entering. Uh, it was a uh, skinny uh, hallway to a recessed doorway. Uh, we could see that the bouncer was already shot outside the bar um, on the ground. And we could still hear the gunshots going on inside um, and then knew that we had to go in. And I was able to be one of the uh, first few officers through the door, um, my patrol partner being the first one through the door. Um, and I so respect uh, his courage, um, his bravery, his, uh, just his actions that night to uh, open that door and be able to uh, immediately stop that threat. And there really is no polite way of having us rest this conversation. And I want to set the table a little bit, so to speak. Number one, people say all the time, and anti-police or police critics say this, they're not required by law to save your life. What's that tell you? No, legally, we're not. Ethically and departmental-wise, yes, we are. And I, I don't know of anybody that would not take action. Uh, and we hold ourselves at a very high threshold when it comes to that. Secondly, when you know you're going into the line of fire and you're, you describe the entrance as a fatal funnel, that's a term a lot of people use in law enforcement. It's a narrow hallway. You know where the door is. The suspect knows it there. They know you're coming. 
so to, to walk in there knowing you're facing the worst possible scenario takes a special type of courage. Yeah, I, I think that training kicks in. I think that uh, just understanding the situation, I, again, I feel like that was another situation of just being on autopilot. I didn't feel uh, any hesitation. Uh, number one, because of the, the partners, uh, uh, the co-partners I had that night and who I was going through the door with, um, but also uh, just because of knowing the situation that uh, we had to respond, we had to act. There was not a lot of thinking. It was, this is what I've signed up for. This is what we're doing. We could hear the gunshots going off. And as soon as the door opened, uh, there was one shot fired in our direction. Uh, then doors kind of opened a little bit more again, and we moved all the way through, and, um, and, and my patrol partner was able to return fire um, and, and, and stop the suspects there. Well, that kind of answers that question. Uh, when, when you said, kind of on autopilot, I could really relate, because, and, and it sounds ironic, and it doesn't sound like it makes sense. I didn't have a lot of time to think ahead of time. And it was basically relying on training and you go through, do what you're supposed to do. That's all there was to it. It was afterwards that all the problems started. Is that a fair assessment for you? Absolutely. Uh, I definitely felt that at that time. Uh, it's well after the scenes, uh, you know, um, uh, under control, well after, um, you know, things have slowed down, calmed down. And sometimes it wasn't even until like my drive home that night. You know, that I started to even really process it. Um, and just later in my career, coming alongside other officers and peer support, I would remind them of that, too. You know, like, don't be surprised if you don't even begin processing this uh, until later in the day, the next day, you know, a, a few days later. Uh, like, our mind just brings pieces back, um, you know, slowly and over time and, like, almost putting the pieces back together like a puzzle. Beforehand, uh, someone asked me this, and I said, yes, I did pray. I prayed in patrol car often. However, it's when I had time to think about what we're doing. For example, during a drug raid, we knew the potential of violence was there. Uh, so I do a quick prayer ahead of time. When these other things happen, I didn't have time to think about it. And it was, it was afterwards. And one of the things that I did, and maybe your peer support, maybe your experience will, will help shed some light on this. I used to think that I had this mental routine separating Police Jay from Father Jay and Husband Jay and all that stuff. That when I took my soft body armor off, the sound of the Velcro opening up, that I would begin to mentally undress and change roles. And I did really well with that for a long time until it didn't work anymore. Yeah, that was the exact same for me. Uh, I uh, took my uniform off at work. I didn't put it on until I arrived at the beginning of my shift. Uh, I It took me a few years to recognize that um, I'd really taken on uh, you know, different identities. And I think that in law enforcement, it is a strong identity. Uh, but one of nobility, one of honor, uh, one of duty, uh, and I think that there is so many positive traits, you know, from that I identity. And I so respect, uh, you know, the service and the sacrifice of those that serve and are willing to, you know, go into danger and are willing to, you know, step up and, and sacrifice for others. But I think that there is so much of an identity that you really begin to take on, you, do. you know, that we are there, you know, to help everyone. 
You know, we are there to respond to everyone else's situations. We're there to show no weaknesses because that's not our place and not at the time to do it and to control everything as much as we can, um, uh, you know, for, for the sake of ourselves and to be able to control and help others. Uh, but there's so much of that identity that I took on that, yes, when I went home, uh, I felt like it was almost two different identities. Like and we're going to continue that conversation now. in just a moment. We're talking with Jeremy Wade. Be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. Newsbreak is your number one local news app for current events. Free live news for you and your community. Download the Newsbreak app today for free and be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. This is a Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. So much more heading away. We'll be right back. You can find us on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. This is our conversation on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show with Jeremy Wade. Jeremy is a former Seattle Police Department police officer, 13 years on a job. As you can tell, he's been through lots of violence, lots of trauma. What they call nowadays critical incidents, we didn't call it back then. We just called it policing. It was an everyday occurrence in Baltimore City. Uh, and I'll recap really quick. In his first year, police officer Tim Brenton was killed. Then the, the Lakewood Four police officers killed. Another Pierce County Sheriff's deputy was shot. Uh, he had a bank robbery suspect ended in shooting during field training. And he just got done talking about the active shooter at a bar. I had been on the job many years. And then you begin to switch roles. One of the questions I've got to ask you, Jeremy, is we already talked about the beforehand. We don't have time to think. Yeah, you don't have really a lot of time to pray. You don't have a lot of things going through your head other than what I got to do. How do I handle a situation? And man, my big fear was I don't want anybody to get hurt. I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt anybody or cause anybody to get hurt. Secondly, for me, we talked about the 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 psychological undressing and trying to change and shift gears. I was really good at policing. I knew my role. I knew the job. I knew the trauma. I said earlier, I must've been addicted to the adrenaline. For me, it's when I got hurt and retired and I was home and I, and I got really silent, very quiet that the real problem started for me. Is that fair assessment for you? Yes. In a way, I I think I just started to recognize after a few years, uh, just the impact it was having on uh, me personally, uh, just being all in. Uh, you know, putting the the job just above everything else in some aspects, you know, and, and just uh, feeling as though this is what I signed up for. Uh, this is what I signed up for. There is going to be a price, you know, that I'll have to pay, you know, to sacrifice for others. I'm going to feel it in my personal life. I'm going to feel it, you know, in my family life. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to work long hours. I'm going to have to work late, you know, uh, odd, you know, odd hours. Uh, I'm going to have to work some holidays. Um, but yeah, it just, I started to recognize that so much of it was paying a toll on my marriage. Uh, I was paying a toll, you know, on my family. I got hired at 26. Uh, we had our second child born a week before I started the Academy, about a two year old and a brand new baby. And, uh, and, and, and it was tough to balance it all. And yeah, it was definitely paying a toll on me. One of the things we used to say all the time, and look, I, th- I thought I knew what I signed up for. I really didn't know it was going to be intense as it was, uh, but I did sign up for it. However, my now ex-wife did not. My daughters did not. 
my wife now did not. And one thing I, I really was not aware of, and my father passed away from cancer 30 some odd years ago after I retired. But my mother and I talked and she said, I was scared to death until you retired. I had no idea the impact it had on her and she was several hours away. Yeah, I heard that from my mom, uh, who lived in California while I always served in Seattle, before I'm in Washington. Uh, you know, just that, yeah, there was a level of stress and concern that I didn't even recognize. Um, I think that my wife felt it at times, especially when, uh, after Timothy Brennan was killed and the Lakewood Four Houses were killed and Ken Mandel in Pierce County uh, was shot and killed. Uh, I think that that was a wake-up call for her. I think that at first it was like the excitement. But then the, the, there was the wake-up call and the reality, um, and she turned to her aunt, uh, who was the spouse of a, a police officer north of Seattle for over 40 years. And she had to turn to her and just say, you know, like, how do you deal with that? You know, how do you reconcile, you know, the dangers and the potential? And she really had to reach out to others and kind of wrestle with that in herself. Um, and it did have an impact. Uh, but the bottom line, my wife was my biggest supporter. Uh, and that was a huge aspect for me, uh, just to have her in my corner, uh, to be a support for me, uh, beside me. And we, I felt like we were in it together, um, that this was what God was calling us to. Right. Look, I, I agree. And I say this all the time. It's hard enough doing this job, but you can't, if you're married, you cannot do it without the support of your family. You just cannot. And, and I was never a big believer in generational trauma. It, until my daughters who are now in their thirties talk about some of the things, and maybe I was purposely forgetting or ignoring things, but they, they talked about things and how I changed in their very early years. I mean, one, two, three years of age that still has an impact on them. And I'm, I, I gotta be crucially aware and I'm gonna phrase this as a question yeah, I am responsible for how I behave. I may not be responsible for what caused me to be this way, but it's my job. I got to claim this stuff. Have you claimed that you have been changed by law enforcement? Yeah, absolutely. I had to uh, wrestle with a lot of things. I, I think that I could see some of the impacts um, of how it was changing me in my first few years, um, and then even the impacts on just others serving in the department. Um, I think that that's where I uh, began to just have so much more of a burden to support my fellow officers in my department. And then later, uh, you know, officers in other departments and around the country as well. I had opportunities to train a lot of our new officers coming on the department. I had opportunities to lead our peer support team on our department uh, to then in 2018 train our whole department in resilience and wellness and start to, you know, grow that, which even led to us starting a full-time wellness unit in 2020 right before COVID hit and the riots hit and then just being in that position to support all the officers on the department through the Seattle you know riots that we experienced as well I think I just my, my my burden grew I feel like my calling grew to where initially I loved everything about the job and going out and being able to serve and protect the community and I still love that mission but I feel like over time, my burden just grew to want to come alongside of those that have stepped into that calling, uh, but to help support them so that they can not uh, experience some of the same pitfalls that I've experienced right. or some of the same pitfalls that I've seen so many, so many others experience. And they still do. 
that it's still an issue. Our departments have done a much better job when it comes to the big things, the critical incidents that we talked about. But in my opinion, my experience, we fall way short on the, the daily grind that wears people to a pulp. Yes, I definitely saw that even when I would do that training and ask survey questions of all the officers in the department or other departments that I would train on resilience and wellness and ask them all anonymously over a survey, you know, what had a greater impact on them? Was it those critical incidents, the worst of the worst calls, or was it just the accumulative stress over the span of their career? And uh, the vast majority uh, like 90 plus percent was always the accumulative stress. A lot of times it was the internal stress, the accumulative stress, uh, just the daily grind of it over and over and over uh, and not ever being able, able to like let their guard down. Uh, like we talked about, you know, to come down from that hypervigilance to kind of take that, take off that identity, you know, that we take on as that protector. With switch gears, you have a, a tremendous passion for your ministry, and a lot of your experience is the driving force for your ministry work. By the way, your website is missionfirstalliance.com. How would you describe what you do? With Mission First Alliance, uh, we are setting up a Christian um, alliance for first responders on a national level. One of the things that I uh, experienced doing peer support and doing wellness and training resilience and wellness and supporting police officers and firefighters around the country um, is that uh, there is there are a number of resources that are coming up to support them through their career, trauma support and uh, addiction recovery support and stress management and so many things. Uh, but what I experienced in my career uh, and I saw it in, in others is that they were looking for that, also that spiritual support. Um, and while there at times is some of that from a chaplain, a department chaplain, uh, at times uh, uh, um, officers or family members just feel alone, uh, you know, struggling and wrestling with things and unsure of where to go for that support. And so what we're doing with Mission First Alliance is we're setting up a national alliance of those faith-based Christian resources for them so that we can unite them all um, that are doing their own things all over the country so that they're not doing it alone and not independent, but they have support among each other. But way more importantly, so that the law enforcement and family members across the country that are serving on a daily basis can understand and recognize all the support that's out there for them. Because when I first began searching for it, I couldn't find it. I'm glad I felt you alone. Did. I felt isolated. I'm, I'm I really glad you. Struggled to find I'm glad you shared your story, your experience, and I'm really glad for what you're doing now. Get more information at missionfirstalliance.com. That's missionfirstalliance.com. Jeremy, thanks so much for being guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's jay at letradio.com. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. 
The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.